You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Pastor Louis Giglio. We've been talking for a few months now about how we're not just turning the page into a new year, but we're turning the page into a new decade. And we've been talking leading up to Passion 2020 about how that decade is the 20s again and how the roaring 20s are back. Most of us remember uh, being in American history class and talking about this amazing time in American history 100 years ago in the 20s. And I know we've touched down on it many, many times here in the last few weeks. But just to recap, it was a time of euphoria in the nation in the 1920s. And when you dig down underneath it, you can quickly see why World War I had ended. World War I lasted from 1914 to 1918. And listen to this. In World War I, 22 million people died. In addition to the 22 million people that died, 22 million people were injured in the war. 44 million lives affected by this conflict. And so when the war ended, of course, Euphoria began. Some describe the time like this, that it was an era in the 1920s of outrageousness. America threw a party that lasted for an entire decade, and everything was changing. For the first time in the history of America, more people lived in urban areas than in rural areas. The economy doubled in America. The, the wealth of the nation doubled from 1920 to 1929. Everything was moving so rapidly. And what was a very regionalized nation before the 1920s all of a sudden became a harmonized nation. One of the things that contributed to this was the radio. The radio took hold. The first commercial radio station in Pittsburgh came online in 1920. A few years later, there were 500 commercial radio stations across the nation. And by the end of the decade, 12 million homes had a radio. And all of a sudden, on that radio, people were hearing for the first time nationwide advertising campaigns, something that had never happened before. And when nationwide advertising happened, a consumer culture was born in America. Before the 1920s, people didn't think about what they wanted to buy. They thought about working hard. They thought about saving what they had. They thought about being thrifty, and they thought about earning their way into a better life. But all of a sudden, in the 1920s, because of the economy, people started thinking about things that they could buy. A mass culture was the byproduct of this entire movement. And everyone in their homes, whether in California or on the East Coast, could be listening to an advertisement for the same kind of vacuum cleaner or the same kind of washing machine. All of a sudden, these new modern conveniences that would create more leisure time and give everybody more margin in their lives. Henry Ford did the unthinkable. He made it possible to automate the process of building an automobile. And in 1924, 
You could buy a Model T for $264 in America, and this made Americans mobile and, again, began to change everything about our country. The chain store was invented in the 1920s, so people could go into the same store in a various region of America and buy the very same thing. Music was exploding. Culture was exploding. Politics was exploding. Everything was exploding. In 1920, the 19th Amendment was ratified, giving women the right to vote in America. In 19, yes, in 1919, the 18th Amendment had been ratified, declaring prohibition across the land. But when prohibition was declared, it didn't really solve any problems. It just really surfaced some of the deeper problems in the human heart because all of a sudden bootleggers were a dime a dozen and the speakeasy came to life in the United States. I've heard that speakeasies are back and that's a thing again, but they actually were born in the 1920s and with the bootleggers and prohibition, Al Capone and the mobsters took over the cities of America. It was said that Al Capone had a thousand guns on the streets of Chicago and half the police force was on his payroll. And so the cities became violent when prohibition became the law of the land. There was a red scare, a reaction against communism, a big movement called nativism, and immigration was the number one political, global political idea of the day. Americans wanted to close our borders. We were all about people who were white and had their heritage in the United States of America. This was colliding with the great migration, African-Americans coming out of the South into the North and up into the Midwest and even to the Northwest, which was great liberation. The Harlem Renaissance was afoot. Jazz music was taking over the culture in cities like Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, Paris, Sydney. But the problem was, once again, what well, was good news for someone just showed the, the problems and the peril of the human heart across the board. Because people in the heartland and some of the small towns didn't like black people coming up out of the South. The dance that took over the nation, because the world was getting this global mentality where the same slang was spoken in every part of America, the same songs were being listened to in every part of America, the same radio programs, the same... Um, dances were happening across the nation. The Charleston became a thing. The cakewalk, I've never seen the cakewalk dance, but that became a thing. And everybody was doing the Charleston, and that was all well and good because it was the Roaring Twenties. The problem was the Charleston originated in Charleston with African-American people, and all of a sudden white people were doing the black man's dance, and a lot of white people didn't like it. And so while there was a great freedom and a great migration and a great culture shift happening and African-Americans were right at the heart of it, in the heartland of America, the KKK grew like never before. Millions and millions and millions of people were added to the roles of the Ku Klux Klan. And so while the nation was throwing a party that lasted a decade, the hearts of the people were what they always were. And while everybody was declaring euphoria, there were still issues underneath the surface. Probably the symbol and emblem of the 20s was the flapper, 
The ladies were taking center stage, and the flapper was a woman who had cut her hair short, God forbid, and was wearing a short skirt. Now you're thinking, yeah, I know what you say when you say short skirt. No, I'm talking to about right here, a short skirt. (laughs) And she was out smoking and drinking and carousing and saying unseemly things just like men would do. It was a sign of the times. Women said, I can do what I want, go where I want, say what I want, drink what I want, and act however I want to act. Fads were the thing. The marathon took hold. If you ever had one at your sorority or fraternity, a rockathon or a danceathon, you owe that to the 1920s. There was a marathon of every kind you can imagine. Flagpole sitting was the number one thing that people were doing that was kind of like the fad of the day. I'm glad that's sort of passed now and hope it never comes back again. But apparently it was a deal. Freud was huge, took center stage in psychological thought. Self-improvement books found their footing. The movies were pre-code. That means that they were silent films. But in time, uh, there was the first feature-length movie with sound, 1927, called appropriately The Jazz Singer, and it revolutionized the motion picture world. There were 20,000 movie theaters in America by 1926. Think about that. 57 million people went to a movie theater weekly in 1927. By 1929, 95 million people every week were going to a movie theater. Art Deco took center stage. There was a big exhibition in Paris in 1925, and all of a sudden, Art Deco was the thing that everybody was highlighting as the new way that design would lead us forward on multiple levels. F. Scott Fitzgerald coined the term the jazz age, and then he wrote The Great Gatsby in 1925, and we all know the story. Nick Carraway moves from the Midwest to New York to become a bond trader, and he moves in next to Jay Gatsby. Jay Gatsby throws a gigantic party every night of the week, and Nick Carraway is trying to figure out how his Midwest values fit in with a world that seems to be exploding in materialism at every level. Finally, he gets invited to a party, the worlds collide, and he's left to sort out the difference between morality and materialism, between an inflated world and the real issues of the human heart. Sports, all of a sudden, um, has a footing. Why? Because people have leisure time and a little extra cash in their pocket. Nobody had time to go to a baseball game in the 1919s. They were trying to survive a nation that was at war, but now everybody had a little extra time, and so baseball became the flavor of the day. Names like Babe Ruth, Shoeless Joe Jackson, Lou Gehrig, these were the names. And in the 1920s, boxing took center stage. That was like the low, low, low man sport before, but Jack Dempsey came along and was the heavyweight champion of the world for an eight-year run in the roaring 20s, and the world celebrated him, and America became the epicenter of boxing in the world. Golf was a sport for the uber-rich, but now, by the end of the 1920s, 89 cities in America had a public golf course for the very first time where Joe Average could go out and learn and take up the sport of golf. And then the economy. What can you say? Harding became president at the beginning of the 1920s, and everything doubled every single year. Everybody was making money. Everything was speculation. Everything was margin. Everything was getting better and better and better. But Harding died suddenly before his term was up, and Coolidge became 
president, he saw an unprecedented increase as well. But the problem was everybody was buying in to an overheated stock market on borrowed time. They were buying on margin, leveraging into an overheated market. And on October 29th, 1929, it all came to a screeching halt at the great stock market crash of 1929. Within 30 days, somewhere between 700,000 and 3.3 million people lost their jobs in a month. And that crash led to the darkest decade in the history of our nation, the Great Depression, which lasted from 1929 until 1941. It was said about America at that time that the 1920s was the response of a nation weary of war and ready to have some fun. I mean, think about it. In 1927, 100 million records were sold in America. That's what was happening across the nation. It was a decade of optimism, a time when most Americans thought that tomorrow would be better than today. But culminating with the Great Depression, it was also the end of innocence. And so I started asking the question, okay, I know about the flappers, and I know about prohibition, and I know about the women's suffrage movement, and I know about Art Deco and jazz, and I know about the movie industry, but what was happening in the church? Who were the great preachers? Where were the great spiritual movements? What great revivals were happening? Where was the epicenter of spirituality in the 20s? And so I began to dig and search and look, and lo and behold, my results pool was very, very small. The leading evangelist of the era was a man named Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday was a professional athlete, had ended up giving up that career because he wanted to preach the gospel and see people come to know Jesus Christ. He had a burgeoning ministry in the 1919s. But this is what is said about Billy Sunday in the Roaring Twenties. His audiences grew smaller during the 1920s as Sunday grew older, religious revivals became less popular among the people and alternate sources of entertainment appeared. We're going into the 20s again. And in the rearview mirror, if we look back a century and we take stock of the 20s that were, it almost feels like we're reliving that moment all over again. And as we now turn the page into our 1920s, and we now move into what will be undoubtedly a defining decade in this city, in this nation, and in the world, again, I say it is time that the roaring 20s are back, but not the euphoria of a nation. This time it's time for the lion of the tribe of Judah to roar, for the lion King Jesus to roar again in the 1920s. A lion roars for three reasons. A lion roars to declare its territory. A lion roars to declare its pride and a lion roars when one of its own is far away to let them know how to find their way home. 
And it is time again for the church to wake up, for me to wake up, and for you to wake up and realize the world needs to hear King Jesus roar again. The 20s are an era where the world needs to hear and the cities need to hear the roar of a great king of grace and a great king of truth. And if he's going to roar, he's going to roar through you. And he's going to roar through me. When you look at the book of Daniel, you see such a significant and amazing and astounding life. And it says about Daniel in chapter 6, verse 10, so the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, quote, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you, exclamation point, end quote. In other words, When we look at the life of Daniel, we see what the aim is, I believe, for the decade ahead. And that is that the world hear the lion roar. But the roaring lion is not about volume. It's not about you getting louder or me getting louder or the church getting louder. Heaven forbid, we don't need any more loud in this generation. Everything's already loud enough. Everything is already drowning out everything else. We need to turn the volume down. So when we say we need to hear the lion roar in the 20s beyond, we're not saying you have to get louder and the church needs to get louder. We're not talking about volume and we're not talking about being louder. We're talking about boldness that is rooted in belief. And what the world needs right now is to see bold followers of Jesus who are living for something that matters and who are bold about their faith. Not the loudest guy in the office, not the loudest person on the block, not the loudest person on the campus, not the loudest person in the classroom, not the loudest person on social media, the boldest person in the office, the boldest person in the neighborhood, the boldest person on the campus or in the classroom, the boldest person in the family. Somebody who's anchored in a belief that God is God and there is no other. Daniel made the cut. In other words, he was good enough. When the captives were dragged out of Jerusalem and into Babylonian bondage, they only took the best of the best and Daniel made the cut. That means he was the brightest, the most gifted, the most articulate. He had the most potential. He had the look. He had the goods. He was top shelf, top of the class, front of the line. He was a somebody. These were the ones that were taken off into Babylonian captivity to be renamed and retrained and repositioned to use their gifts and their abilities, not to build up a great name of the king of kings, but to build up the great name of the king of Babylon. There was a hijack going on where people who were gifted by God and created by God were being hijacked to honor something less than God, to use their life, their breath, their gifts, their energies, all their wisdom, training, and knowledge to build something up that would honor and glorify man and not God. Daniel made the cut. And now here he is in Babylon. Babylon right at this moment is led by 120 leaders who are ruled by three administrators and Daniel's at the top of the list. But Daniel is um, a man of faith. He is a man of integrity. He's a man who's filled with love for the one true God. His life is a mirror reflection of Yahweh. And he has proved it 
time and time and time again. He, he has remained at the top. His abilities are off the chart, but his faith has never wavered in God. And those around him are jealous of his position and his favor with the king. And so they set a trap for him. And the trap is this. If anybody bows down to any other God beside the king, uh, that person's going to be thrown into the lion's den. The, it's voted on. It's signed and sealed. It's a done deal. And Daniel knows it. But he still goes home that day. And he throws open his window. And he bows down toward Jerusalem. And he prays to the God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the rulers who made the decree, they're there to, to witness the event. They drag him before the king, who actually likes Daniel a lot, and says, hey, you remember the decree? Well, we caught him in the act. He was praying to another god who isn't you. He's going in the lion's den. The king loved him so much, he tried and wrestled all the way until sundown to see if he could find a way to get out of it, but he couldn't. And so it ends up, we come to this verse, and they put him in the lion's den. And his last words are, may your god, whom you serve continually, rescue you. You see, what was happening here was more than a human trap in circumstances. And it was more than a predicament for Daniel. What was happening here was that God wanted the Babylonians to hear the lion roar. And he needed a medium. Sound always needs a medium. Sound is a wave. And it's transmitted through a medium. That medium can be a solid material. It can be a liquid material. It can be a gas or a plasma. But sound has to have a medium to be heard. In other words, you can't hear sound in a vacuum. And if a lion roared in a vacuum, you wouldn't hear it. And so God said, the Babylonians need to know me. I need a medium. Daniel, you'll be my man. You'll get transported from your place to their place, but you'll be faithful and I'll honor you and I'll raise you up. And then you're going to be the medium by which the roar of King Jesus travels to the kings of Babylon and ultimately to the ends of the earth. So what happened? The king, he didn't sleep much that night. And it says at the first light of dawn, verse 19, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, underline that phrase, we've seen it twice already, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, yep. Good morning, king. You talking about daybreak? Wow. Oh, king, live forever. How do you honor someone who just threw you in a lion's den? Because you were in there all night with a God who's so far above the one that threw you in the lion's den. And you give honor to the king. You say, oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They've not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. Well, the king was overjoyed, and he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Next verse, didn't work out too good for the people who put him in the den. 
Then verse 25, King Darius wrote to all the people, nations and men of every language throughout the land. Verse 26, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Now, a medium called Daniel allows the roar of the living God to echo throughout Persia and throughout all of Babylon. Now there is a witness that there is a living God who is greater than every other God. And it is time again for Daniels to rise up in this world in this city, in the church, in your company, in culture, in every sphere, at every turn, at every crossroads. It is time for Daniels to rise up who are bold and their boldness is anchored in belief that there is a great God and he is worthy of praise and he is going to keep me. The takeaways for me going into the roaring 20s, number one, the world is desperate for a roar. And if we're not careful, as the people of God, we're just going to fall in lockstep with everybody else. And we are just going to end up doing the dance and using the slang and talking the talk and just blending in with the, with the stream thinking, look, it's amazing time to be alive. I mean, it is the roaring 20s again, Louis. I don't know if you looked at your 401k at the end of the year, but it was a good year. Amen? Does anyone have a retirement account? In this room, does anyone here have a retirement account? Did anyone look at yours at the end of the year? Did anybody dial the number and get the little thing and go online and check out the deal? And did anybody do that? Please, somebody? Well, unless you're a really bad investor, you crushed. Banner year. Better than last year. And since 2009, the 10-year run, off the charts, historically. But are people's souls at rest more? No. They just bought more stuff. Took more vacations. Just went more places, threw more parties, did more stuff. Did that solve any marriage problems? No. Did that make anybody sleep better at night? No. Did that cure anybody's anxiety, fear, depression? No. Did that heal anybody's heart? No. Is it, is it better than the Great Depression? Yes. But it doesn't answer the big questions of meaning and significance. We've come through the greatest economic ex expansion since the Roaring Twenties, but yet suicide is at the highest rate ever in America. Because there is no correlation between Great Gatsby and a soul that is at rest. And the city needs to hear grace roar and meaning roar and significance roar and steadfastness roar and truth roar. And the church is going, hey, ain't it great to be alive? We got to wake up. 
and understand that the economy is great, culture's moving, everybody's got a voice, and everybody has a banner to raise. Expression is going off the charts, but people still need to hear King Jesus roar. A second takeaway for me is that those who trust in Eslin will not be disappointed. Daniel was not disappointed. Now, if you read all the way to the end of your Bible, you're going to find some Daniel stories that didn't work out like Daniel's did. In fact, in the great hall of faith, where in Hebrews it talks about the legends of our spiritual heritage, it talks about believers who were ripped apart by the lions. They didn't even hit the den floor. So what about them? Where was Aslan when they were thrown in to the arena and persecuted by the powers that be? I'll tell you where Aslan was. Aslan was roaring through them when they stepped into eternity. You're like, what do you mean? Well, let's think about it this way. Right now, while we're sitting in this gathering, singing these amazing songs, enjoying this wonderful kickoff to this new year in the afterglow and the awe of this phenomenal stadium event that we have witnessed with our own eyes. Our brothers and sisters on every continent are under fire for their faith, being persecuted, tortured, executed for their faith right now in this world mostly in countries where there are no Bibles, no access to the gospel, no churches, no conferences, no podcasts, no nothing. The only gospel anybody has in these countries is a believer who's bold enough in their belief in God to step forward and say, Jesus means more to me than whatever you can do to me. That is the message that is preached. And the persecutor and the executor, they get it loud and clear. Whoever this Jesus is, is greater than whatever we can do to this person. And on their dying day, with their very last breath, they are declaring King Jesus, Aslan, who is the king of all kings, is greater than my own life and greater than anything that can happen to me on this planet because I am a breath away from being in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So let it be known to you today that there is a God who is greater. You say the gospel can't be preached in some of these countries. Oh, no, it's being preached all right. It's being preached in the lion's den. And those people who are proclaiming it with their very last breath, trust me, they are not being disappointed in their faith in Almighty God because their belief and boldness rooted in what they have seen to be true of God is winning for them a crown for eternity's sake that we're going to walk around in heaven and go, there's one of them right there forever. There's one of them right there. Who? Who are they? Who are they? They're the martyrs. He was a North Korean martyr. She gave her life in Myanmar. She gave her life for the gospel of Jesus. And in that day, oh man, oh man, you're not going to be one of just be walking around with your great Gatsby stories.
A third takeaway is you build now for the future you want later. I did some research and I double checked, triple checked. I had my team check. I had my team hire a team that checked. We rechecked, we restarted our computers and we checked again. You can write this down. I guarantee you that after 29 comes 30. After the party was over, the 10-year party, the big 3-0 hit. You remember it? It's like, uh-oh. I got to put some roots down, figure out who I am, stop running from my past. I got to reboot. I got to stop spending and start saving. I've got to stop clear-cutting and start cultivating. I need an identity. I need a purpose. I need a people. I need a city. I need a plan. Hello. You know, the only thing that wasn't doing good in the 20s on the economy side was farming, and that's because, as Levi told us so well, uh, farming equipment was cheap, and people with borrowed um, money bought all these tractors and plows and combines, and they planted so much land that the food prices were in the tank, and they still owed all this money on the equipment they had. So while everybody else was doing pretty good, the farmers were doing terrible. And I think it's just all about thinking ahead. You know, we serve an eternal God, a God who was and is and is to come, yet we live like we're disposable people. We are on a disposable planet, but we're eternal creatures, and we're connected to an eternal God. So we got to start thinking with a little bit broader vision some point, right? This is a great time to start thinking with a broader vision. You don't wake up one day and become a Daniel. You don't hit 30 and say, man, I don't know what all that was, but I need to be Daniel. You don't hit 40 and go, man, that was nuts, but I need to be Daniel now. No, Daniel didn't wake up on the day they threw him in the lion's den and become Daniel. Daniel was Daniel when, he brought him out of, when they brought him out of Jerusalem and out of Israel. When he came out of Judah, he was already strong in his faith. When he got to Babylon, they tried to make him eat this king's diet. And he said, no, we don't eat like that, man. Our God has already given us a path and a plan. Hey, give us 10 days. We'll do it our way. You do it your way. You see who looks better at the end of the 10 days. He already was building the faithfulness over the years of his life. He didn't become Daniel one morning. He became Daniel every morning. And it's time. For somebody here who doesn't like the direction your life is going in to change the path that you're on. You're waiting for some hocus pocus, some feel good moment, some psycho babble to sort everything out. It's as simple as saying, this path isn't taking me where I want to go. Therefore, whether I feel it or not, I'm changing my path today. I'm changing direction today. I am changing my trajectory today, not just for a little short resolution so that, you know, three weeks from now I would have lost three pounds that I plan on fully gaining back in February. Because <laughs> what else would I do next year if I don't gain it back? I'm talking about trajectory shifting decisions that land you in another stratosphere 20 years from now that you make today because you understand 
that the decisions you make now build the future you live in later. We don't need, I don't really believe, any more New Year's resolutions. Now, if you want to do something or change something, by all means, do that. I need to reorganize my finances, or I'm going to clean out that closet, or I'm going to work out, or, or great, just say that. I'm going to start working out. But don't do like a big post about it. My New Year's resolution is I'm going to decide and resolve. Man, resolve is very similar to dissolve. We need a New Year's revelation. Because I don't, I don't believe Daniel threw open the doors toward heaven knowing that a death sentence was over his prayer and prayed to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because he was resolved to do that. I think he did that because he'd had a revelation that his God was king over all kings. You mean king of the jungle, right? No. Lions don't live in jungles. I know. Horrible. Break that down. Seriously, that's what you're going to do on the first Sunday of a new year is break down the greatest story of all time? Yes. Lions do not live in jungles. They live in, in grassy, arid, dry desert lands with little scrubby bushes and scrubby trees. And when they roar, you can hear them from miles away. Well, so how, how do you start today? Well, A, it starts with the question, is the king living in you? you? You can't roar something that you don't have. You can't roar the voice of Jesus if you don't have Jesus. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live, next verse, in the flesh, I live by faith. That's that boldness rooted in belief. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, there's Christ's life in me. That's the start. It's me coming home from a trip a few months ago. Shelly wasn't home. We live in this little, like, skinny, tall townhouse. And, and when I got up there, something in, in the bedroom was buzzing. And I was like, oh man, every time we leave something, you know, going on. And I, I'm looking around in the bedroom, like what is buzzing? And why is something buzzing? This little faint sound is driving me crazy. Maybe it's a light bulb somewhere. I'm looking at all the light bulbs. I'm thinking it's the, it's the ice maker. Oh, that's what it is. I go down. I'm letting it, no, no, it's, it's, I can't hear it anymore. I go back up and I'm like, it's that weirdest thing. And finally I'm walking. I'm like, I hear something. And I look at my suitcase. It's in there. I throw my bag down and unzip it. It's in there. There's a little bag in there, my toiletry bag. I grab it. I'm fired up and out of breath. I've been up and down the stairs four times. I unzip it and my beard trimmer is running. The little trimmer part has come off but that little thing, it's going around about this loud. 
Unbelievable. But there ain't going to be any roaring if something's not going on in your heart. My friends in England call it being switched on. I love it. They'll be talking about a friend. Oh, yeah, she's, she's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, wow, what, what happened to them? Oh, she got switched on this year. Like, what does that mean? It means she went from just cruising through life to going, I know who Jesus is. I believe in who he is. I've come to know him personally. I've been touched and filled by his spirit and I am now alive in Jesus Christ. She got switched on. She went from just being a normal person in the landscape of humanity to being somebody who was alive, fully purposed in Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, some of you going into the roaring 20s, you don't need to worry about being a big roar and a medium for Jesus yet in the city. You just need to get switched on. You just need to go from kind of going through the motions and knowing about Jesus and occasionally coming to church and getting switched on by faith to really knowing who Jesus truly is. The roar starts in here when the king comes to rule and reign in your life and in your heart. I'll close in maybe just with this invitation. It may be for, for you today. It is God calling you to be a Daniel and you're going to lean into this series and say, I want to shift and become an influencer in my generation. But maybe today it's just that you need to hear Jesus roaring and you need to find your way back home to the pride. Maybe you've never known King Jesus. He's roaring for you today. Or maybe you've just drifted off far, far off somewhere down the savannah. But you can hear him roaring for you today. The prophet Hosea said it this way. Hosea is a story all about unfaithfulness and adultery. It's a mirror of how we walked away from God, but Jesus came and found us anyway and brought us back. And it says in chapter 11, it says in the end that God isn't going to forsake those that are his own. It says they will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They'll come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. And I'll settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. A lion isn't feared because of its bite. In fact, its bite is very average. 650 pounds per square inch. You're like, I don't even know what that means. Well, yours is 160 pounds per square inch and your dog's is 260 pounds per square inch. 650 pounds per square inch, lion's bite. You're like, is that, is that good? No. Hyena, 1,100 pounds per square inch. A jaguar, 1,500 pounds per square inch. A hippopotamus, stay away from them. 
1,800 pounds per square inch. The fiercest of all, the Nile crocodile, 5,000 pounds per square inch. Cannot roar, but oh my goodness, you do not want it even like nibbling on you. So you, you don't need to worry right this second about Jesus' fight. You need to be thinking about his roar. A lion's roar can be heard five miles away. 114 decibels, which is louder than is allowed at any concert venue in this city. And I read the account of these workers at this game preserve on the border of Kruger National Park in South Africa. They had four brother lions in their territory. One morning, they found three of them together. And as the sun came up, they did what they did. They looked around, realized one of their brothers wasn't there, and all three of them started roaring. After they roared, some time went by, and out of the silence, way in the distance, brother roared back. Well, when brother roared back, they were on the radio talking with other rangers about what had happened. Another ranger said, I'm very near brother. In fact, I heard him roar and I can see him now. He just got up and immediately just started moving toward the sound that he heard because lions are phenomenal in his capacity. He moved uninterrupted without turning. The ranger follows him at a safe distance without turning to the right or turning to the left. He crossed paths that he normally would take, roads that he normally would walk down, never wavered one iota. For the next hour, he walked directly into the company of his three brothers who were now sleeping. From two miles away, he knew exactly how to find home. God is reaching for you going into this new decade. And he's calling out to you, but he needed a medium. And the medium, the Bible says, was the lion of the tribe of Judah. His name is Jesus. Say, so does he bite? Well, in the end, he declares that he's the one true God. But right now, he roars grace and truth. And he says, you, you may be two miles out. Can you hear me? Because his loudest roar was the one he roared from the cross when he said, it is finished. And if you hear that roar today, he's saying, oh yeah, I do roar to stake my territory and I do roar to stake my pride, but I'm roaring right now so you can hear your way back home. He's roaring with scars in his hands and feet. Do you want to come home? Do you want to start a new decade with the King of Kings?
Jesus. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.